Would you take your copy of the Bible and stand with me and turn to a very familiar chapter, Psalm 23 on page 458 in your pew Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Calvary family. It's good to be with you all this morning. We are going to be focusing this morning on the idea of peace and care. And uh, just want to say that it's such a gift to have this church as our church family here. Um, even as I'm preparing for the message throughout the week and hoping to care for you through it, um, also feeling cared for during the worship this morning and the leading of worship, your responding of worship, the prayers, the scripture reading. It has been a, a rich time already this morning. So. It is good to be together and thankful to be cared for already as a, my own individual self, as a person. I'm just thankful to, to be here. We are in the middle of our Advent series. Uh, this is the second week of Advent, and what we're doing this year is kind of merging the traditional Advent themes uh, with the Psalms. And so the traditional Advent themes uh, from week one to week four are hope, peace, joy, and love. And so we're looking at each one of those themes through the lens of the Psalms uh, throughout Advent. And last week, Pastor Gerald took us um, through Psalm 33, looking at the theme of hope. And this week, we're going to look at uh, Psalm 23 uh, through the lens of peace. And as I was thinking about and starting to prep for the sermon this morning, I was realizing I couldn't have picked two more conventional and popular text and ideas, peace and Psalm 23. <laughs> it's about as well known as it gets, right? Very, very popular text, very, very popular thought. Uh, the expression and the longings we have of peace is not just something that Christians are unique to Christians, right? The culture at large, history, and the world at large longs for peace. And we might wonder, why do we long for peace? Why is there such a pervasive desire for peace? And I think it quite simply comes with the kit of being a human being. 
the longing for peace. It's not unique to Christianity. It is something that is woven into each and every one of us. Our story that we all have in common that starts in Genesis 1 and concludes in Revelation 22, our story began in peace, experiencing peace, and our story concludes with peace and experiencing peace. And so it is no wonder that it is woven into the very fabric of who we are as human beings to long for peace. This desire for peace is popular, so popular that the most common symbols are around peace, right? We have a hand gesture that we use to tell each other peace. One of the most popular global symbols is the symbol of peace. It is something we are all pursuing and longing for, peace. We were made for it. We were made for it. Our story revolves around it. And it's not just us as individuals that pursue peace. We know full nation states pursue peace. Some countries, in an effort to pursue peace, develop and form military, right? And then some, as I was thinking about Pastor Manfred, country uh, he resided in most in Costa Rica, as an expression of peace, does not have a military. And so it's really interesting to think about the different ways we all think how peace should be expressed in the world. Some of us think we should fight for peace. Maybe some of us are resigned that peace is just a fairy tale, that it is not a part of the true story of the Bible, and feel resigned because the pursuit of peace maybe feels like an effort in futility. But as I said, we are all made for peace. We were made to experience peace. The opening chapters of Genesis reveal that. Imagine, use your imagination as you think about day six. And God says, and it's, God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very good. What a beautiful moment that must be if we use our imagination. That God looks over this wonderful world, this beautiful, peace-filled world, and says, everything is very good. And even the literary movements of it kind of melodically make you feel the peace and goes and lulls you into a rhythm when it says, and there was morning and there was evening, the sixth day. It's like walking you into peace, seeing the creator God declaring that everything is good. Oh, and now there's evening and now there's morning, the sixth day. And the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them and the result of God in this hard work of creation that was beautiful and fully good and peaceful was to rest. What a wonderful response <laughs> to the work of creation 
and the experience of peace, everything is as it ought to be. I can rest. And so God blessed this seventh day and he made it holy because on it he rested from all the work that he had done in creation. That's how our common story started. Do you see now why we were made for peace? That's our story. We were made for that. And yet we know that destruction and sin and pride came. That's why we see in Genesis chapter 5, the repeated phrase, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. No more peace. But we know, as I said, that not only does the story start in peace, though it takes a tragic, tragic turn, it ends in peace. Our story ends in peace. John has a vision of the new creation. In Revelation 21, he expresses, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Imagine that day. Imagine that day. Peace. We are with God He is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, understanding and seeing every pain and trauma we experienced. He wipes away every tear from our eyes. And there shall no more be, and he died, and he died, and he died. But we know that when, as human beings, we left the Garden of Eden, it all of a sudden became unclear how we were going to be cared for. It is great to imagine these stories of the beginning in Genesis and the story of the future in Revelation, and yet we all know we're caught in the middle there somewhere, aren't we? Where we struggle for peace. Peace at its best can be elusive. But this is where in God's kindness and mercy to us, in our experience of peace as elusive, gives us Psalm 23. And he says, I will take care of you. I will take care of you. Even in the midst of the turmoil. Not only do we know though that the pursuit of peace is quite popular, We know that Psalm 23 is quite popular, even as the culture reflects on what church culture might be like. And you have in movies pictures of liturgical services, you often see in those services 
Christians reading Psalm 23. So it's kind of how they imagine us, right? Is probably reading Psalm 23. We know it's read at many funerals. Almost every genre, almost every artist that is trying to express um, some kind of idea of tragedy and care, many, almost every genre at some point has used specifically Psalm 23 to articulate how deep a valley and dark a valley can be. And so it is in the stuff in the air that we breathe, peace and Psalm 23. Why is Psalm 23 so readily accessible and popular in our common vernacular? It seems to me that there is a message in Psalm 23 that hits our core need as human beings. We need to be cared for. When we're east of Eden and peace is elusive and we're threatened to only venge for ourselves and only take care of ourselves and become at war with each other, God says, don't choose that. I am your shepherd. You shall not want. So Psalm 23, I think the reason why it's so accessible, not just for Christians, but non-Christians alike, is because it gives us this hope that we will be cared for. I think there's a direct connection between peace and care. Between care and peace. Our experience, or hopeful experience of peace, I think is directly connected to the quality of our being cared for. Less care, less peace. Now, some of us experience a lack of care. It may be for multiple reasons. Some of us experience a lack of care intentionally because we are not the kinds of people that are interested in receiving care. We want to be the kinds of people that only position ourselves as the caretakers. Oftentimes, when we are the ones receiving care, it feels like we're vulnerable. It feels like we don't have it all together. It feels like we need someone else. We need something from someone else. And we, that is not culturally, even for us, a respectable way to exist in the world. And so many of us position ourselves intentionally to not receive care because it's much more comfortable away from that and to be the caregiver, to only support some of us have a lack of care because of neglect. Some of you are actually not cared for. Some of us have experienced in our lives from even the most natural primary caretakers a lack of care. And that is painful. Some of you have not only received a lack of care from the closest caretakers, 
but even directly receive pain from those who are supposed to take care of you. And that stinks. That's sad. And in all of these scenarios, it is so hard to experience peace. It is so hard to experience peace out of the context of care. Whether we're intentionally trying to avoid care or whether we have been neglected by caretakers. And whether you are intentionally avoiding care or you're experiencing neglect in care, the good news is that Psalm 23 is calling you to embrace God as your good shepherd. If you think you don't need care and you're typically positioned to be the caretaker, relax. Relax. What are you proving? That you don't need care? That's not a good point to prove since care is so connected to peace. Receive care. Relax. If you have been neglected from care, your good shepherd is coming for you. He sees the neglect and is coming to take care of you. So the remainder of our time, let's just take a quick look at how care is seen and described in Psalm 23. Four things I want to say about care in Psalm 23 so that we can experience peace. First is that the care is for us. That's good news. Care in Psalm 23, it's for you. I hope you'll receive it. Care is from the Lord. Care brings about rest. And then lastly, the care expressed in Psalm 23 holds nothing back. So first of all, the care is for us. It is clear in Psalm 23 that we are the sheep and the Lord is the shepherd. We are the sheep. Now, I've often heard it said in reference to Psalm 23 that we are the sheep, and obviously because sheep are just so stupid and you're the sheep, and they're ignorant, they don't know what's going on, and I'm like, that just annoys me. Even if it's right, I don't think it is, but even if it's right, it annoys me. I'm like, what, what are you trying to like say? <laughs> I don't think the point of Psalm 23 is, oh, you guys need to identify as really, really stupid because you're sheep. I mean, why would the Lord say that? What are we? According to the story of peace of the Bible, what are we? We're his image. So he just fundamentally think we're stupid and made us stupid? No. But what he does know about us and the world we live in is that we're vulnerable. The point of saying that you are sheep is to say, trust me. Look to me because this world is dangerous and vulnerable. And you can't take care of yourself. I know some of you think you can, but you cannot. If peace is what you want and peace is in your bones, you can't take care of yourself. This is a dangerous, vulnerable world. 
And so identifying as sheep is meant to tell us you need a guide. You need a guide. You're not stupid, but you need a guide. This world has a lot of tragedy and you're vulnerable. And as sheep, we can't ignore that we have wants. The point of I shall not want is not to say regard, disregard your wants. The point of saying I shall not want is to say don't deny your wants and take your deepest wants to the good shepherd and reorient all the other ones that you have primarily around the shepherd first. Not you're foolish for having wants, not that you're stupid and you don't know where to go. The point of the shepherd is that it is a scary, tragic-filled, vulnerable world. And you are sheep, you can't self-protect. So follow your guide, he will take care of you. We as sheep, we are vulnerable. And the possibility is that in the deepest, darkest valley, God can still comfort us with his presence. We are sheep. The second thing about care is care is from the Lord. It's really interesting to look at some of the, uh, simultaneously, some of the other ancient literature around the time of uh, Israel, ancient Eastern Israel, uh, because the, the title shepherd in other cultures at this time is directly connected to royalty. So oftentimes the leaders of a particular country, nation, state um, would articulate themselves as a shepherd. They were the caretakers. Now, as we know in the tragic story of the Old Testament is that what went wrong for the kingdom of Israel was that the shepherd caretakers didn't use their power and authority for the good of the nation, but used it for their own ends. But what's so wonderful to understand about this shepherd title is that they're to say to us, royalty has your back. Royalty has your back. The sovereign God who created heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, the one who led Israel out of Egypt, the, this cosmic grand Lord also has you in mind. It's interesting, the term shepherd oftentimes as a title is a collective way to talk about God's relationship, Yahweh's relationship to all of Israel. But what's unique about Psalm 23 and one of the reasons why I think we find it so relevant to us is because the psalmist isn't just saying God is Israel's shepherd. The psalmist is taking a very, very intimate moment and saying the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. It's not just a royal caretaker, but it's a personal royal caretaker. There is no royal agenda too important for the Lord to not want to be your individual caretaker. He cares about your vulnerabilities. 
But not only is he a royal personal caretaker, he is also a very, very near caretaker. He does not take his hands off. He commits to personally providing your care. He is not looking to subcontract out your care. It doesn't matter if you're in the valley. It doesn't matter if you're in front of enemies. This caretaker is going to care for you no matter where you are. And this caretaker has committed to do it all the days of your life and you will dwell in his house forever and ever and ever. So we are sheep. The Lord is the caretaker. His caretaker, his caretaking is sovereign. It is personal and it is near and it is extensive. Third thing about care is that Care, as we see it in Psalm 23, brings about rest. It's interesting, as we think about uh, rest in Psalm 23, in in verse 2, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And the word that we translate there, still, is also can be translated as rest. And it is the same root word the name Noah comes from. And Noah, as we know, means rest. And so the point of God's caretaking, the point and the goal of the Lord's caretaking for us is rest as it was for him on the seventh day. Rest is what God has in mind for you. He wants to bring us to an environment, a place, a location where we can rest, where there are green pastures and peaceful waters. And as we think about this experience of care and peace relationship to the story of the Bible, it should very clearly, as we read through green pastures and still waters, it should take us back to Eden. That the Eden experience where God looked over everything and said this is all good when we read that he as our shepherd is going to lead us to green pastures and still waters says Eden is still in God's heart for us. God is going to bring about this new Eden experience where we can look at the world and say everything is good at peace and rest. The last thing that we see about care is that the caretaker will hold nothing back. The caretaker is willing to go with you to the deepest valley. There's no doubt many of you, if given a quiet moment, can quickly recollect a moment in life, and maybe you're in it, of this deep valley experience. The caretaker 
is not just willing to be in solidarity with you. He's willing to take on your experience for you. The caretaker doesn't just remain the shepherd. The shepherd became a sheep. The lamb of God slain for the world. The shepherd didn't just come to give us a hand and help us up. The shepherd himself assumed flesh, becoming like us in every respect, as the author of Hebrews says, and became a sheep just like us. So that, as Hebrews also tells us, he could sympathize with our weaknesses. The good shepherd doesn't just look at the vulnerabilities that we experience in the world and think, oh, that's really hard, I bet. Let me get you out of it. The good shepherd looks at the vulnerabilities that we experience of the world and says, I'm going to experience that for you on your behalf to make all things new so I can wipe every tear from your eye and there will be no more death. When we think about the caretaker as the royal sovereign caretaker, it seems to me quite impressive to think of royalty considering me, right? Maybe some of you are like, no, I can see a royalty caring for me, I don't know. For me, it feels like a big deal. But that's only the half of it. He doesn't just look at us and care. He assumes and experiences all of our pain and vulnerabilities. Jesus assumed flesh. The Son of God assumed flesh to become like us, to become like sheep, to know what it's like to be vulnerable, to be at the hands of merciless, evil people and have his life tragically taken away. The shepherd made himself one of the sheep. And his father, the good shepherd's father, brought this lamb back from the dead so that this lamb could no longer just be a lamb, but be the good shepherd. And this good shepherd, according to John, says he cares for his sheep. He sees us. As we come to the table in just a few moments, the Lord's table, we taste his care in our lives through body and blood. God calls us, though, not only to receive care, but to extend this kind of care to each other. This is the kind of care the world, if they had a peephole view into our lives together, is what they should see. 
they should see us shepherding each other, caring for each other, taking on other people's vulnerabilities to protect and support and love. When the world looks into the Christian community, what compels them is not, oh, I asked a lot of questions and they had all the answers to my questions. Who cares? What they look into and see is love. They see care. They see nearness. They see tenderness. Because in receiving the love and care of the good shepherds, we are free to take risks in loving and caring ourselves. And so we come to the table this afternoon to receive the care of the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your mercy and your grace. We are thankful that you see us, you care for us, and you sympathize with our weaknesses. As we come to the table, Father, we recognize that if left to ourselves, we are vulnerable and evil will have its way with us. But with your sovereign, personal, extensive and pervasive love and care, we can be saved. And so, Father, it is in your Son that we put our trust in him. Pray this in his name. Amen.